The following Art Trap production has been made possible in part by subscribers like you. Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi with Ken Deep, James Norton, and Louis Trapani. Welcome back to the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. And this is Louis Trapani, and joining me in this episode is none other than our usual co-host, Mr. James Norton. Hello. Welcome back, James. Thank you very much. Good to be here. And for this episode, we have a guest host, a voice you may be familiar with, especially if you're a regular listener to Doctor Who Podshock or the Cultum Collective podcast, Mr. Dave A.C. Cooper. Hi, Lewis. Hi, James. I'm absolutely delighted to be here today. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Our pleasure to have you here. Absolutely delighted to have you. So unfortunately, right. Ken was unable to make it for the show and Dave's here helping out and we do appreciate it. We're a little behind. We, we were um, amiss with having an episode out last month. So we're trying to catch up a bit and uh, we do apologize for that. And to that end, we're right now, as we record this, sort of in the middle of The New Prisoner, which is um, a reimagined new series that's out on AMC, which is um, American Movie Classics, I think it was originally called. Yes. I think think today they just use these initials and they disregard their proper names. They just use their... Mm. um, their call letters or whatever so it's amc on in in the u.s it's a a new production a new vision of the classic patrick mcgoon prisoner series now if you're a regular listener to our podcast you have already heard us talk about it and as production was rolling up and um when they were casting and we were sort of been following it all along its origin to where it's at right now I know myself and James, we had a chance to see uh, part of it. We haven't seen all the episodes of the new series yet. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Before we go into that, we're also we're in the middle or towards the end of the Sarah Jane Adventures, its third series run. So we're going to talk about that as well. But first up is that just a bit of news. I had heard, and I'm going to pick your brains as well, both both Dave and James here, that Red Dwarf is actually going to be coming back again yeah i I heard about this because i follow um follow several people from from the show on twitter and various through various other means i heard that it may have been coming back and that they were working on scripts and they were Mm -hmm. pitching them to dave who uh who picked up back to earth which Dave is, on... the, is the channel, not yeah. the channel. Dave yes, with us right now. <laughs> oh, the good, good, good point. Good to clarify that they've been. Then they were thinking about pitching it to Dave to pick it up for a more sort of regular series. So I hadn't, I hadn't heard much more than that. But it's, it's now official, is it? 
I think I heard that and I thought I had, again, I had jotted this down in notes here and I thought I had a, a link here to an, an article or something like that. But that's what I've heard is that uh, I guess with the most recent outing of Red Dwarf where it was this past summer, I believe it was, that they have they had come back. Yeah, it wasn't so long ago, was it? It was relatively recently. Yeah, yeah. it was either spring or summer. I can't remember exactly when. Um, I believe it was in the summer. I think it was during, in and around the time that we had Torchwood. So, uh, And of course it was James, not the channel James, but our James Norton here, who uh, gave out, I think, that the, um, the Red Dwarf... Uh, special was uh dave's biggest uh ratings it's they'd had their mm. highest audience ever so it's absolutely not surprising that they've uh thought we're onto a winner here i mean uh, and uh, we all know the cat has nine lives so quite quite and i mean uh you know i, f- I follow uh robert llewellyn who's called bobby lou on twitter all mm-hmm. lowercase all one word who plays Crichton in the series and he does he does this fantastic series this internet television series called carpool which if you've not checked that out go to uh youtube that's double l e w t u b e dot com uh, because that's where he broadcasts them from every every week where he has a celebrity in his car usually uh, a prius or occasionally he's done things with um oh a tesla one of those new fanciful electric sports cars uh, which is fantastic he has a celebrity in there drives around and and films it all and asks them questions while he takes them from you know wherever he picks them up to wherever they need to be it's a really interesting series but uh, and he had he had mentioned on twitter that it was coming back a, a few weeks ago and he he was literally i guess swarmed by retweets and by you know at tweets at him you know asking him is it true what's going on and he he just basically replied that to clarify you know that there's still a lot of work to it's be done in a, in a just, very early process exactly yeah. we're we're talking to dave about it they seem keen as you know our very own Dave AC has reiterated they had the the highest ever ratings on Dave because of because of Back to Earth the Red Dwarf special. So oh. um, yeah, it, it it it's perfectly possible that it's coming back. So watch this space. We'll and I think we'll let you the, know all about it in the future. I think the timing is absolutely right because there's nothing at the moment. Uh, obviously, this program is about British sci-fi. Uh, but uh, comedy sci-fi is, is a subgenre of that, and really, there's nothing on at the moment. There's been a couple of sort of uh, failed attempts, really, to well, what I thought were failed attempts to capture that side. And since yes. really, uh, Good Night, Sweetheart, there hasn't really been um, a good comedy science fiction crossover. So uh, it would really have the uh, the place to itself if it came back. Okay, mm. I, I, uh, supposedly this is what had happened was that as James was just talking about Robert Llewellyn, who's um, who who is a you know I've been following on on Twitter since he first came to you know since he first started a Twitter account. So and that's where I originally heard this from. So supposedly there were rumors that were circulating at a I'm assuming this is a convention, Dimension Jump fifteen, mm-hmm. called. And then Robert Llewellyn on his Twitter account confirmed that there would be a series ten of Red Dwarf, and that there was um there was an announcement made. At um at this, I'm I'm sorry. It's it's dimensions jump nine, I believe it's um whatever number it is, but doesn't matter. 
and just to clarify that the it's it's been commissioned, but um, you know the scripts have been commissioned, but they won't start filming till next year. Twenty ten is when they start shooting, so uh, we, we don't have any other dates outside of that. Mm. That's fantastic, though that, uh, that it's all confirmed that it's definitely going to come back now. Yeah, That's and it really, seems really to be cool. a full series, as far as what I can, you know, as opposed to the Back to Earth, which was a three-part miniseries, if you will. This will be a full series. Mm. Mm. Well, I mean, um, as Dave alluded to, uh, there's no, there's not been really uh, a. a, a comedy sci-fi show that's been as successful as red dwarf they've tried with things like hyperdrive which that was I, the one i was trying to think of yeah yeah I, I never could really get into it and i'm i'm a huge fan of nick frost and i i watched an episode or two and um as well uh it's also got fantastic people on it like kevin eldon who's been in all sorts of fantastic British comedy programs, Miranda Hart, who's got her own television series on the BBC at the moment called Miranda, who's doing hugely successful and has a fantastic set of shows there. So, they, you know, it, it by no means was um, was a flop. I just think that, uh, that, that they haven't been able to sort of capture the massive success that Red Dwarf has had. It's just been huge. Well, so, science fiction uh, and comedy don't usually, I mean, with an exception of maybe the, the Mel Brooks Spaceballs outing, it's it's a hard mixture. <laughs> yes, to get right. Reason. It doesn't think. really mesh too well. There have been well, several attempts and mostly they fail. I go, going back to, going back in the US to the, the late 70s after Star Wars and trying to cash in on that, there was, um, oh, what was it called again? Quark and which only last I don't think it lasted a full season. It just it had maybe um, eight episodes or something like that. It's available out on DVD now if you're really curious. But it was uh, probably the, to my knowledge, probably the first attempt of a of a science fiction comedy series on television. And um, and there've been others, um, other movies that really tanked. And I think Mel Brooks probably was the as far as the big screen goes, as far as movies go, was the only one that had any mm. measure of success with that. And on television, Red Dwarf is the only one that I can point to that had any success with it. Yeah. Well, uh, in America, there's Third Rock from the Sun, although whether you would say that was a comedy with science fiction elements. Yeah, yeah. it was more of a sitcom with, with sci-fi elements too. But that's a good point. I forgot about that. Yeah. And I mean, even with Spaceballs, at least here in the UK, that's sort of considered to be you know, a cult film. Mm-hmm. I think if you went up to most people in the, in the street and said, have you heard of, have you heard of Spaceballs? Quite a few people would say no. Whereas if you asked the same people, have you heard of Red Dwarf? Yeah. Most of them would probably say yes. Mm-hmm. So, and, um, and even as far as Mel Brooks films go, I don't think Spaceballs did as well as his other, some of his other films, you know, Young Frankenstein mm-hmm. and his other, um, you know, films that, that come to mind. Yeah, and not and not to sort of emphasise a, a a bridge across the water, but across the pond. But I mean, I think the British are a little less pompous in their science fiction. You know, I mean, w- one of the things that I found with some of these Deep Space Nine and Battlestar Galactica, uh, they got a little bit too uh, politic and uh, you know uh, esoteric and up themselves is the only polite way I can put it. And um, uh, here in the UK, I think we're a little bit more laid back. I mean, absolutely fanatical science fiction fans, as you will know with the Doctor Who fans, but I think we're, we we can poke fun at ourselves a little bit more and perhaps there's probably more of a market here in the UK. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. for the sort of uh, sci-fi comedy genre or any form of comedy, really, that uh, that is sort of self-deprecating, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, another note about Red Dwarf is um, if you're listening to this in New Zealand, that's coming. The, the Back to Earth series is actually coming uh, to your screens very soon. November 27th is, um, is to my understanding, is when it's going to be shown in New Zealand. Wow. Yeah. Very, very cool. And New Zealand are getting ahead of the pack again, aren't they? They're, uh, aren't they getting um, the waters of Mars before Australia? I mean, uh, really? Oh, I'm sure I there was somebody mentioned that. Ah, interesting. Speaking still, of, go on. Sorry. No, uh, no. I was just going to comment. I mean, I, I still wish that one day we'll see everything kind of worldwide instead of having you know. Yeah, one thing at a time. Yeah. Mm, competing, but I think the. It's got to be an economic thing that I'm sure that they just want to get as many different companies competing at once for the rights to show it. And, you know, perhaps Siffy or whoever else may say, oh, we'll slip you a couple of quid if we can be the first to show it outside of the UK and blah, blah, blah. There is one more aspect. There is one more aspect. I know you want to move on probably now, but... um, the thing is that some of these uh, launches of TV series are now so financially important that they want the major stars to be there at like a mm. guest screening and so on. And obviously mm. they can't be in three places at once. So sure. some of the elements is so... Uh, so, I mean, if, if Cardiff wants the world premiere, they want the stars at Cardiff. You know, sure. And it's not even necessarily a, a premiere thing, but just to to get out there and sort of promote... The, the series as a whole, uh, you know, David Tennant with all of his uh, his stuff at Comic-Con and so on going out there and really promoting, um, at the time it was Planet of the Dead, but that's just one particular instance where, you know, a British star's gone abroad, you know, when they've shown it a bit later than the UK so that they can promote the show and try and get as many people to, to watch it really and try and make it a success abroad i guess so aside from uh, even the premieres and things i think that's that's also the case do all the interviews and go on all the talk shows that kind of stuff mm-hmm. speaking of um the new television series there's an up-and-coming bbc show called paradox that's coming out relatively soon right and yeah. this is this is kind of slipped past my radar but uh we had a couple of emails about it and um uh, dave has uh, has reminded us about it in that um it's going to star tamsin althwaite who uh is quite a, a famous english actress um she originally starred in eastenders way back when probably about 10 years ago now yeah. or something um and it was actually filmed. The whole series was filmed in in Manchester, I think, in uh, where our very own Dave AC is from. Uh, in and the I didn't North get a quarter. call at all. Yeah, you should have <laughs> should have been there, mate. But it's it's about as far as I can tell. It's uh, it's sort of a detective, um, uh, like a very much a crime style sci fi show. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe in a sense, like X Files. A little bit, it seems. It, there's this. The lead character is called Rebecca Flint, who's a detective inspector, and she's basically in charge of a team that um, 
investigates crimes that are uh, committed in the future. Um, and these so-called images, I guess, of what's going to happen in the future are, are transmitted to uh, an astrophysicist who's on the team um, somehow. I don't quite know how this is all just reading through the bump that's, that's so, out So they're, there they're trying to stop these crimes before they actually happen? I suppose happen. so. Um, right. They, and that would essentially they have sort of 18 hours, it would seem, to, to prevent such tragedies. That reminded me of the TV series Crime Traveller, which was a, a yes, UK was science a fantastic program. I love that with yeah. um, a nice link actually to um, Red Dwarf. The Red Dwarf, because uh, Chloe, Chloe was in Jeanette, it. Yeah, was in it. Along this with, is something new for me. I haven't heard of this. Time she traveler. played the the new the second Kachansky, the actress she who played. Did. It was yeah. a brilliant television show, Crime Traveller. I mean, we're getting sort of off the beaten track now, but <laughs> it, it, it's a, I think it came out in 96 or 1997. No, 97, yeah. 97. And um, it was all about this character called um, uh, Jeff, Jeff Slade, Slade, who was played by Michael French, who, again, nice link to EastEnders, was a, a big character on EastEnders, uh, probably a little bit before Tamsin Althwaite. And he sort of, uh, he discovered that um, uh, a character played by Chloe Nett, whose name escapes me. Holly Turner. Holly Turner, yeah. She she had, in, well, her father, her father. had invented a, a, a time machine which travelled in time but not in space and it was in a room of her of her flat. So he used to use it to travel back in time to solve crimes that had already happened. Um, so he could, 20, he could 24 go back. hours, wasn't it? They could yeah, go just back. 24 hours you could go back. You couldn't bump into yourself, so to speak. You had to really avoid meeting yourself. And it was a, a terrific program, mm. but it, for some odd reason, it only ran for, for one eight. series, eight yeah, episodes, eight. Uh, at about 45 minutes or maybe an hour apiece, if I remember rightly. And it was it was one of my favourite programmes. It was on, on what on a Saturday night. It, it basically had the Doctor Who time slot that we have now. You know, sort of six seven o'clock on a on a Saturday night. And I used to love watching it. It was it had such fantastic stories. Yeah, I don't know why they cancelled it. I don't know. Uh, I'm just reading here. It said viewing figures started at eleven million and dropped to seven million. Well, to me, seven million sounds quite respectable. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, well, I guess this was before um, multi-channel, yeah. multi-channel. So maybe it was seen that if you're losing almost half your half of your uh, your viewers, that you you should should think about uh, cancelling the the show. But a, a real a real shame. But uh, hmm. yeah, that, that's it's, it's, to my knowledge, it's never been shown here. At least I've, I've never heard um, of it until now. It may have been shown on um, on PBS stations. You can certainly buy it on DVD. Mm-hmm. Um, another relatively famous British uh, actress who's in it is uh, Sue Johnson. Johnson, who uh, plays who his the boss plays of the, the, the the head Govier, the boss of Jeff Slade. She was on Brookside and the Royal Family. I'm just trying to think if she's if she's ever been in Doctor Who. She she may have been in Doctor Who. 
Seems uh, like eventually they all wind up on Doctor Who. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Uh, but it probably there just weren't enough episodes for it to be taken up. I mean, uh, uh, like, I mean, we we were going to talk about The Prisoner and other things, but th they are classed as like miniseries. So whether they could treat this as a miniseries rather than anything else. Yeah. But getting back to, to Paradox, it seems like quite an interesting uh, concept. It, it sort of reminded me, as far as the fighting future crimes before it happens, it, to me it reminded me of Minority Report, that movie by Steven Spielberg. Yeah, or um, I think you can draw a lot of parallels between these kinds of things these days. There tends yeah. to be quite a few ideas that are, are borrowed. and it, it, There was a, a film that came out relatively recently whose the name of it escapes me at the moment. Um, it had Morgan Freeman in it and... Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, it was about oh. a set of an Angelina Jolie. It had a set of, uh, of assassins who would receive instructions through this magical loom that could tell who who needed to be assassinated, essentially mm -hmm. who who was going to die uh, from the future, and they would go out and they would uh, they would do the deed. They would shoot or kill the. Uh, the, the person, whoever it said, needed to be assassinated, which was, I think, draws a, little, a few parallels there as well. And, and if people who listen to this like uh, reading science fiction still, um, there's a very famous uh, Nebula Award book called Timescape by Gregory Benford, which mm. deals with a similar sort of thing, not, not in crime sense, but in terms of uh, the future world trying to warn uh, past world by sending using tachyon par uh, particles. So... That's something to look out. Gregory Benford, Timescape. Mm, mm. Yeah, well, it looks. It certainly looks very uh, interesting, and I'll certainly uh, sit down to to watch it because, um, well, it, it's coming out relatively soon in in the autumn, at least. Uh, there's a nice little uh, press press packet about it on the BBC BBC website. He's called Christian King. Dr. Christian King. Space scientist Prometheus Innovation. Space scientist? He wants to see a detective. In less than six hours, something cataclysmic is going to happen. I'm a police officer, Dr. King. My time is valuable. You know nothing about time, do you have As far as the paperwork is concerned, this job doesn't exist. The images don't make any sense. It's your perception of them that's failing to make sense. I'll put the pieces together. Well, I'm not breaking the law. We change the future. Then what? Stop! Stop! We should also give a heads up to Anthony, who had wrote us about this. He had sent yes. some feedback. So we want to appreciate, um, show us some appreciation for that. And um, you can always send feedback to us at feedback at Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi.com. Mm. Very, very true. Apparently, the writer Lizzie Liz uh, McCary is it, whatever. She uh, James will probably have seen this. The the new adaptation of the Thirty Nine Steps that was on the BBC mm. recently. She was. It's the same writer that did that, and that was a very polished uh, production. So um, yeah, it could be. It looks like it's going to be something to very much look forward to. Yeah, and Lizzie McCary. We're all in favour, of course, of. Uh, brand new science fiction and particularly 
brand new British science fiction. I don't think there's enough of it on television at the moment. Well, mm. slightly biased perhaps, but... <laughs> <laughs> we can outnumber him today, we're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess what we can do is um, we can move on to what we were, wanted to talk about, which was the remake of The Prisoner, which is the classic Patrick McGoon series from 1967, if I believe, if I'm correct. And it's been reimagined and redone once again. Well, not once again, but um, it's when I say once again, it's just that it, we seems see, like the general trend that yes. uh, studios have at the moment is to exactly. uh, is to rehash old older uh, television programs and things. So, as I mentioned earlier, it's being shown on AMC here in the states, and. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it might be shown elsewhere as time goes by. I believe it's going to be shown in the UK in 2010 on ITV, who have co-produced it with AMC. The original Prisoner series way back in the late 60s was was broadcast on ITV. So that's the main sort of competitor to the BBC, really. Well, that's a good point because I saw in the end credits, it's copyright ITV, V as in video, yes. studios. And yeah. then based on The Prisoner by ITC, C as in Charlie, <laughs> entertainment. So I, I was wondering if those two were sort of maybe related or, or not. Well, I think um, originally back in the day, uh, ITV had lots and lots of different sort of local television studios that would produce content for ITV. You know, for instance, there used to be, well, there still is, but it doesn't, it, it's not, no, nowhere near as big as it once was. There is a Yorkshire television studios, which produces not only, you know, local news and so on, but produces a lot of, uh, of television programs. Those in the UK will know, Know it for producing things like a touch of frost and countdown and all sorts of different programs on television, and they would use to sell them to ITV, and they would be a part of sort of the ITV network, like Carlton or um, Thames, which made things like Danger Mouse, which listeners may be familiar with, things like that. So, I think it's probably ITC may be something akin to that and may have just been mm-hmm. renamed and I'm not familiar with it because The Prisoner was obviously, I think, 1967, 1968, something like that. Yeah. So uh, a little bit before my time. <laughs> well, now, speaking of credits, one thing I do find interesting in um, this new series is that absent from the credits is Patrick McGowan. I, I yeah. haven't seen him anywhere listed in the opening or closing credits. And I know the prisoner was, he not only starred in it, but he produced, produced the it. series. Yeah. It was, um, yeah. I, I think it was his concept. And it's just a little, I'm a little taken back that he's not at all credited anywhere in the new series. I think, well, at least according to uh, McGowan's widow, the producers of the new series hoped that they could have gotten McGowan to play a cameo basically yeah, in the series I, I i believe that would have been 93 the, yeah. the character 93 but um he was adamant basically that he didn't want to be involved at all he'd I already see. done it so it may well have been that well it's it's kind of surprising because he has he had reprised the role sort of not not 
in a in a comedy sense he um he was in a recent simpsons episode when i say recent within the last five years or so i don't remember exactly when he was yeah he he reprised his number six role in um you know but it's a cartoon yeah and i'm quite surprised that they haven't you know i don't well i haven't looked at the credits but i'm quite surprised that they haven't dedicated one um a single episode to him at yeah, least in the beginning or the end passed oh. away earlier not this so year. long ago yeah Unless he asked to have his name taken off. Well, know. that's that's possible. It, it, a bit like sort of Alan Moore, who has done an awful lot of fantastic comic books that have since gone on to become very successful films like V for Vendetta. Oh, what was the most recent one that they, they did? Watchmen. Uh, yeah, Watchmen, I think, was the last one that they did of his. And he's he's had wanted absolutely nothing to do with any of those projects for various different reasons and i think that mcguin is very much the same he just said from the outset um that, that it could be that this strayed so it. much from the original content that um that, he, yeah he didn't want he, to be associated he, with it yeah he just didn't uh didn't see the need to bring it back or it didn't um didn't really fit in with with his vision for the for the show um and i guess the producers well obviously they'll want to do what they want to do to uh, update it for a modern audience and um, perhaps uh, Patrick McGowan just disagreed with them on that. But, uh, I mean, even uh, people like uh, uh, Christopher Nolan have uh, have suggested turning The Prisoner into a Hollywood film. So um, who knows? In for those that don't know, he's the one responsible for bringing Batman back recently. Yeah, Batman screen. Begins, Dark Knight... A whole host of uh, fantastic films. A wonderful British director. He's done um, a fantastic job with the Batman series. Oh yeah, the the re-envisioning, as they're calling it, the sort of reboot. Yeah, it's it's entirely possible that we could be having a film as well in a few years. That's that would be very interesting. It's it's going to be hard to imagine the Prisoner done in a just a, a two-hour format. Because it's it seems you know when you think of the original seventeen episodes, even though it's only seventeen episodes, it just covers a lot of ground. And mm. um, but it's well, what's interesting is that AMC, as far as I'm aware, they showed all the seventeen episodes of the original show before they showed this remake, right? I don't know if they they might have. I know they made it available online on their website. Mm-mm. Yeah, I think. I think that's that may I mean that may, might be where I've heard it that they may have streamed it online rather than showing it on 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 AMC. Mm-hmm. But speaking of which, you can it's it's just only because it's it's fairly newsworthy since it it just only recently came out. Um, the Prisoner, the series, the original series, has always been has been, for many years has been out on DVD, but just recently it's uh, made its way on Blu-ray, and mm. I haven't viewed the Blu-ray edition yet, but. One of our uh, other, I want to say co-hosts or whatever, but he he's made appearances on Doctor Who Podshock. Eric Escamilla has it, and he has commented how well it looks. So it's they really remastered it, and it looks really good. So mm. it's definitely something that you might want to pick up as well, because I was a little disappointed with the DVDs that the um, they didn't really clean up the, the, the prints, really. I mean, they, they seem a bit muddy, and there's a stock difference in the quality, obviously with Blu-ray, and um and it really shines so mm. it's something that you want to pick up perhaps but mm. getting back to patrick McGowan and his absence here his absence here and this isn't really a spoiler because it happens very much in the very beginning of 
the new series is that we do see this other character named 93 that shows up and it's an old man and he's dressed as number six from the original series. He's yes. very much dressed in that. So, um, and if you think about it, 93, if nine minus three equals six. So yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Uh, um, it was a nice nod, I thought. Yeah. I, I got that as well. Aside from aside from the costume, I did think, oh, and, that's obviously. And do we nice. think that's the part Patrick McGowan would have played? I, I absolutely had yeah. to have been I mean, really. Given I just assumed that maybe when they shot, I knew when they shot it, he was still alive. But I just assumed maybe he was ill, you know, because um, well, I, he was eighty years of age and yeah. in in poor health for a while. I think, uh, you know, he hadn't been acting for quite some years since uh, I think. At least two thousand, or I haven't seen him in anything since then. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just uh, an interesting thought, I suppose. So overall, I think the new series is something that's worthy of checking out. It's very much different than the original series. Yes, and if you're expecting the original series, you're going to be very disappointed. It takes a very different direction. It's a lot more slow moving. Uh, mm. Unfortunately, AMC is showing two episodes back to back each night here, which um, I, I think the the way they the style, the way this they sh- they shoot these new series, this new series, it's um it's done with a lot of flashbacks and mm. um and and maybe like dream sequences or something like that, and so it's a bit disjointed already just because of the nature of how the storytelling, the narrative of it is told. Mm. In, in that way. And when you take that and then you take two different episodes that even though there's an overall uh, story arc that's going through all the episodes, but there's two different stories really in two different episodes and you merge those together, it, it just comes out to be even more disjointed and, mm. um, and, and, and prolonged, you know, and, and I don't, I know that sounds negative, but it's not a very, where Patrick McGowan's prisoner was inspired, Patrick McGowan was inspired uh, by the Bond films at that time. So there was a lot of action sequences, that thrill that you get in the Bond films that, mm. that was there. This is done. This is taken on is a whole different approach. Is done yeah. with this new series. Yeah. Now let me just take the weight off you here, Lewis. James Carvizel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's how it's pronounced. I, I fouled up his name last time I said it in, in the show. Um, how, do, how, how does he stand up in the part? He now, to my understanding, I um, he he's not really doing this as Patrick McGowan's number six. No. he's doing he's taking his own approach with this, and it's it's very much different than, and and you knew this going into that that no one's going to match the witty dialogue of Patrick McGoon and the way he held himself. And so he's sort of, um, I'm not even sure if he even viewed the Patrick McGoon stuff. I, I mean, I don't know the, the background there, but it seems like he's very much kind of taken this as just a, um, a new part and, and just making it his own. So it's very much different than the McGoon's character. Now he does play. It's, it's a different spy really, because in the original, series it's assumed that Patrick McGoon's spy character is almost the same character that he was playing in, in a previous series, which um oh, what was it called? Um he he, he played and previously to the prisoner he was in a series where he plays a spy and there was a, this assumption that it was sort of the same character perhaps. Mm. But Oh Danger Man you mean? Danger Man, thank you. But here, this new number six character, which I think his name is 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 Michael, you know, before he became the prisoner 
was a he studied people you know, he used surveillance cameras and was a spy of of that nature where he wasn't a you know he wasn't working for for the i don't think he was working for the government but you know, he was he, working he was, for a company if i remember yeah. rightly i can't remember the name of it but so that has changed there's a lot of differences in it the trademark <laughs> trademark iconic prisoner theme is missing mm. you know and i i miss that as well and it, it, a lot of the excitement well, from the, the original series and it sounds like i'm putting down the new series and i'm just trying to draw differences mm. you know the, the, a lot of the sci-fi elements and technology is missing though it's still there there's still elements there but it just it's not as emphasized it's 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 smaller and it's not called to attention as much as when you saw the original like when you in the original series if you go into number two's um headquarters and you see this big uh, this thing that the spinning thing in the middle where someone's riding in a seat and there's cameras and big screens and mm. you know that's all gone you know yeah well the thing is is that i i quite like it that it's different mm -hmm. in that i i think if you're going to try and rehash something and and, and and bring it back to a modern audience, then it should be different. It should be, there should be something new and innovative about it. Otherwise, there's no point oh, in yeah, doing there's it. There's no point of redoing it. It's just like when someone does a cover song for another band, you know, I always want that cover song yeah, to be different than the you other. You don't band. want if it's it to exactly be the same. The same because, why bother? Yeah, exactly. Why bother? And I like that it's been bold and, and done things differently to the original series. I, uh, to the original series. I love. The fact that all of the people in the... I mean, it's, essentially, it's very much the same kind of setup in that you have mm -hmm. a village uh, where there are people there, in, in essence, against their will and they're all numbered according to their importance in terms of the society. But I quite like it that in this version, they don't know of their previous lives they, it's yeah, almost the, the like whole memory been, issue they've is, been their memories have been wiped and mm -hmm. and a lot of the people there most of the people there have no real desire to to, leave to go or, outside the or, village. or have any knowledge that there is anything exactly outside of the and it's all set which i thought was very clever to do this is is they set it in the desert so mm -hmm. you know to 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 all of the, the sort of mindless characters on the show, you know, the, the, they have no desire to go to leave the village because it's just in the middle of a desert. And, you know, the, there's this fantastic quote from, um, from the new series where uh, one of the characters, I won't give too much away for fear of spoiling it, but one of the characters' children asks him, you know, what's beyond the desert? And he just says, more desert. As in, he has no, he has no um, uh, conception of anything beyond the village. It's just anything else. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. Doesn't want to leave. You know, he's quite happy. And in a way, it kind of shows a nice existence. You could just, you could forget about your past life and lead, leave a very simple, easy life in this sort of perfect little village where nothing ever goes wrong you know everybody's well looked after um, everybody has a very specific defined role and an importance within the society and everything's very uniform and and that I really liked and that I thought was really very clever and I quite like um, 
the the lead actor James Caviezel or however you pronounce his yeah. his last name. I think he's very good, and I think that he's 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 purposefully not copying mm-hmm. uh, the original Patrick six, yeah. yeah, and he's it's, doing things differently. And the two key characters, obviously, in this is is, is six, obviously James Caviezel. And Ian McKellen, who plays number two, who does a fantastic job. Ian McKellen's always outstanding. I, I yeah. can't find a, a part that he's wasn't outstanding in, yeah. especially in recent years, in the last um, 10, 12 years. He's he's, he's always, always does a fantastic job in whatever he does. But my main criticism of the series is not the story per se or or... or the characters or the settings or how it's shot. The What I don't like about it is the storytelling. I don't like that you have this rambling picture of things where it's, you're constantly flashing backwards and yes. forwards. I find that very disjointed. It's, 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 just... it's so annoying because Lost came along and did this and did it quite well and... Since then, every television show on the planet that's come out that has a, a vaguely sort of similar premise, and you could argue that, you know, there are parallels between Lost and The Prisoner anyway in the original series and things, but they've tried to copy that format and it just doesn't work. You know, you yeah, can, you can summarise summarize what happens in each hour-long episode in two or three sentences and if that's the case, you shouldn't make it a rambling backwards and forwards. It feels it feels pretentious. It feels the pacing of it's wrong for a start because mm-hmm. it just feels you've you've hit on the nail on the head with this, Lewis. You said it. You know, it feels slow. You know, it doesn't fl- have a decent pacing. It doesn't flow because they you know they're just jumping backwards and forwards over the place, and they've been too pretentious with the way it's shot and in a lot of slow, uh, you know, every, every, it seems like every five minutes, six is waking up in the desert on the floor. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, it, what is with that? It's very disjointed and jarring, I It find. just makes it's... it incoherent, the whole thing. And that's, that's what's the most frustrating about it, is that it has the real, I enjoy it for the, for the most part, but there's two things that let, let it down. That's the first thing with this whole disjointed affair of telling the story. And the second one, as far as I can tell, and I'm, I mean, I'm not watching this on television, obviously, I'm watching it by other means. But if it does come out on television, I'll be very interested to see how ITV cover it. Mm-hmm. But is the fact that you have these two episodes back to back, hour long. So effectively, each time you want to watch it, you've got to sit down and watch a disjointed, incoherent movie. Yes. Because it's two yeah. hours long. It doesn't work. They could yeah. they should have just had forty-five minute or half hour long show and they should have made six of them. And, and uh played over six weeks, you know. Played over like, six weeks. Or even if they just had it, you know one a night if they wanted to do consecutive. Well I, the thing is is that I think that that wouldn't work with this. It worked quite well with things like Children of Earth. But this thing took eighteen weeks to shoot. They wrapped in December of last year. They went out to Namibia to film this, to a, 
a town in South Africa. Well, it's it's in Southern Africa, yeah. Southern Africa. It's in sort of central Southern Africa okay. on the on the west coast of Africa. And they went to this uh this, this city called um uh Swakopmund, which uh which is where they shot all of the sort of main parts where that you know uh, uh not the village itself in the desert, but the center where they have all the museums and the town hall and all that kind of stuff. They they the scenes where they're riding through the buses and things um, was all shot there. And then I think they built this little village uh, in the desert uh, in, in, in around that area. So they spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting it right. And uh, it seems such a shame to throw that all away with this well, silly disjointed storytelling. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I suspect, I, I don't know if this is the case that maybe AMC wasn't confident enough with it to let it, you know, have six weeks and just because maybe they thought they might lose viewers this way. They figured if, yeah, they, but if they, anything, you're not going to get the audience anyway, because I, I mean, I've struggled to watch all of them. I've only watched two out of the six because you know to, to try and review this on um yeah on hitchhike yeah. i've only seen four i haven't seen the last two you can't yet, so. you can't possibly sit down every night and and watch a two-hour long thing unless you have it's no grueling, life yeah you yeah, know you the, can't do it where i'd come in on that is that because uh, i've only really seen the 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 trailer but alarm yeah. bells were going for me when they we put out a nearly a 10 minute long trailer that's mm. like whenever you the, to my mind, I mean, that's one of the great things about these little uh, clips they've done of Waters of Mars before it's airing is the fact that they're so short and teasers. If they have to show you basically a third of the show, then you know it's in trouble. Uh, well, mm. that's the signal that I get, whether that's the case. Uh, and just while I've got the mic, <laughs> one thought when you were describing this uh, village that they built, uh, I had a, a funny vision of a an Amish version of Las Vegas. <laughs> That's kind of good. Uh, and one last point while I've got the mic again is um, th apparently the lady doctor, I think her code number is 313, played by a marvellous British girl actor, Ruth Wilson, who Very... came here in the UK in Jane Eyre. I hope she's yes. doing a good job. She's doing a very good job, actually. This is the <laughs> thing, I can't, I can't really fault the actors. The actors oh, yeah, are no, doing a great no. job. Um, I think it's just the way that it that they're trying to tell the story, which doesn't yeah. really fit. It's also of note is um, there. There's some interesting shots and compositions. Um, the, the most of the medium shots and close-ups are are done handheld, but not not in a jarring sense. And it just that you know there's fluid there. There's some fluidity of the of the images there. I think it's shot very well. It's just the way it's edited. And um and and it's all these flashbacks and it's just it it like I said it it's very I find it just just disjointed and like what James said you know it seems like every other scene you see um number six waking up in the desert and you, then you have to try to piece in your mind well what's going on and is this yeah. a flashback is this now is this is he dreaming this or what you know mm. and they've kept the white they ball though haven't they is that is that something yes, rover kept is in it ball, yeah. yeah rover yeah it, it, that's like the only real uh, other than you know the basic concept that's the re the only real carryover yeah, from the original they're series they're not the original series they they also have these weird which had towers in it uh, yeah the t back, it almost uh, looks like the the well the world trade center almost it, looks I like thought the twin that, towers yeah i i i wondered whether this was um because there there are also various weird little objects in the desert that crop up every now and again and i 
I wondered if if it's almost. I mean, I haven't seen it to the end, and I'm I'm really looking forward to to watching the rest of them. Is that um, there are these various strange objects in the desert? It makes me think that it's almost mm-hmm. like a post-apocalyptic thing. Yeah, where yeah. you know all of the survivors of 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 a nuclear war or something have have had their memories wiped, and for their own safety and the. Sort of the safety. I know some viewers had made some parallels to um, Guatemala Bay, you know, with the 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 prisoners that are being held there, and drawing some connections there. I'm I'm sure that you know the events after September 11th, 2001, you know, plays a part in this new reimagined series. Yeah, and uh, I I, while I was watching it as well, uh, conceptually at least, I thought that it had uh, quite a few ties to Logan's Run in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can see that now that you mention it. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how it's all good, going to conclude. I think it's just such a shame that they've let themselves down a little bit in terms of of how they've tried to tell the story. They've, they really have shot themselves in the foot with that, and I know certainly that uh, the critics have have echoed what we've said. Just you know. Uh, hearing about what I've, I've I've read, you know, various things in newspapers and online about it, and they've all basically echoed what we've said. Truth is right inside. Knock knock. how the sun makes it all glow. What were you doing in the mountains? Six. Was... What did you call me? Where is the old man? Tell them all that I got out. I don't even know how I got to this place. I want to get back to New York. It's not possible. There is no New York. There's only the village. Where is this place? It's the village. Yeah, but what village? Hey, man, what gives with you? This is the village, and I do local destinations. Hey, hey, hey! What's happening to me? I wish you could fight this. Fight what? Reality. The old man found something. And if he can do it, I can. I'd like to buy a map. Biggest one you got. Big enough for you? You are here. Where's the road out of here? Oh, you cracked me up, Six. You've not seen me before. Welcome to the village. Everybody knows everybody. Be seeing you. He is resistant. He has to be investigated. It's different. Six, look, I understand that you believe these things, but please don't meddle in other people's lives. Can you honestly tell me that the village is all that there is? You're one of us. It's the truth. Isn't it beautiful? Who are you people? Newcomers. Where have you come from? You just got off the bus. But where did you get on the bus? Well, the village. No, this is the village. You've arrived here. Isn't that just the wildest thing? (laughs) 
I still prefer the original series. I like this. I, it's it's a new take on it. I like the new directions they've taken with it. Though, if you're expecting uh, this, is for anyone that hasn't seen this yet, if you're expecting the elements of the original series to come back here, you may be disappointed. A lot of the mm. it, it is very much different. You know, the basic concepts are there, um, but it's a different approach. And um, you know, so. One of the things that I, I miss really is like in, in the Patrick McGowan's number six character is that he was his anger is missing here. You know, he's always he was very strong willed. And, and this number six seems to be I don't want to say weaker, but um, he may be doing things. He He's more agreeable to number two in, in certain ways. But I think mm. maybe he's that's just his way of finding out more information and, and yeah, I he'll, think he'll play along just so he can get more information. That's, that's what I was interpreting his, his, you know, that's where, what I thought. McGowan's number six was more strong willed and would, was, um, clashed more with number two more. Yes. And, yeah. yeah. And do we assume that this is going to be a one-off or is it, you think it's going to end open-ended? Um, I don't. Well, it depends know. how they end it, really. Well, I, I realise that, but I mean, th- there's no rumours that a second series is in production or, or anything of that Not sort. Not that I've heard. Well, I think it, it may well be a Battlestar Galactica type scenario in that uh, a lot of a lot of studios now are starting off with a mini series type format mm-hmm. and sort of. In order if it to, does very well, yeah, they're sort of testing the water to see to see if they can sort of get a, a a fan base there, and if it shows promise and has good reviews, then they'll sort of go in for the full the full haul, um, which is indeed what they did with with BSG and have done with numerous other shows since, because it's obviously very expensive to to and very uh, a bit of a gamble to to create a full-blown series in the States, given that you have to produce, what, 24, 24 episodes per series, roughly, mm-hmm. which is a lot more than uh, than here yeah. in the UK. You know, here here in the UK, six episodes would be a full series, particularly that it's six hours, you know. Yeah, Primeval did that. Six episodes, first series, seven episodes, the third, uh, second, sorry, and I think 13 for the third or something. Yeah, well, Doctor Who alone, you can just look at that, and that does has a standard 13, 13 episodes per series. So it's a lot different to the uh, the the television market in the states, where twenty four is the, the the sort of golden number which everybody uh, goes along with for some reason. I, I don't quite understand why, but there we are. There we are. Uh, just a couple other points I just wanted to before we move along about this prisoner series is that just like the original series, this one does make some social commentary done yes. in this fantasy yeah. format, which I enjoy. I, I, I mean, I always um, enjoy television that tries to make some intelligent, you know, parallels and points and um, allegories in a fictional sense, you know, and I think mm. this does this too, as far as how government controls people and um, mm. how government sometimes tries to distract the people from you know thinking and it's i i think this series kind really hits upon a lot of different elements and yeah um, it's interesting you know. as well that it, it kind of shows it from two perspectives in a way it shows it from six perspective and from two's perspective which i thought was kind of nice mm-hmm. you know sort of the the citizen and the the government if you if you like 
and you know especially you know of recent years you know back in 1967 Patrick McGowan's making you know social commentary though that it still holds up true today it still stands well today watching it today but um it was very much of that time sure and now this new series has really picked up on some key elements that in in and again in the post 9-11 world that we're in now and it makes some interesting points Mm. Uh, another um, point I wanted to make was that the episode titles are taken from the original series as well. You know, the the first one was called Arrival and mm. then Harmony and um, the uh, Anvil. Anvil, yeah, Darling. And I haven't watched the other other ones, so I couldn't yeah. tell you what they are. Uh, uh, Schizoid and Checkmate. Oh, yeah. okay. Wow. There you go, Dave's on the case. <laughs> <laughs> As always. Yeah. But I think, just to conclude, it's well worth a watch, particularly... Well, I think if you've been a fan of the old series, it's kind of nice to see it for the odd few nods, but I think it's 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 more relevant for people who, who have never seen The Prisoner before and, you know, would like to at least conceptually see see what it's about and, and get an idea, but it's it's... By no means, I don't think you can compare it to the original series. Um, but it's it's a nice nice idea. I think a lot of the concepts in it are very well done. The acting's very good. Um, mm-hmm. I, as I say, the the one thing that lets it down is just the the format of it, the way it's shot, and really the way that it's presented to the uh, to the viewer in this silly two hour uh, yeah. a day. Format, format yeah. which I think is is a big mistake on the part of AMC. I agree. Yeah. If you asked, had to tie me down and uh, give it a rating, I'd give it three stars out of five. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's the same. That's the, exactly the, what I was going to say. Yeah, worth a, worth a look, but uh, don't don't expect anything remarkable. Mm-hmm. So that's the prisoner, and uh, catch it now. And um, in your country, I'm sure it'll be available on DVD as well. Yes, and it's and I do know that it's being shown in on British television early in uh, in 2010, so we can look mm-hmm. forward to it on this side of the pond as well. And Blu-ray as well because it is on it's in HD. It's, I I know I'm watching it 16 by 9 format in HD, so. If you're listening to this show, obviously you're a fan of British science fiction, and more likely than not, you're also a fan of Doctor Who. So if that's the case, you probably heard that James, Ken, and I do another show called Doctor Who Podshock. And if you're not listening to that, well, you should be. You can check it out at podshock.net or gallifrandembassy.org or go to iTunes and look up Podshock. For all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock. It's the longest-running Doctor Who podcast out there. We're in our fifth year now, so... Be sure to check out Doctor Who Podshock at thegallifrandembassy.org or podshock.net. Doctor Who Podshock. Okay, well, let's do it now. I, you know, whatever it is, if it's valuable, send it to us. <laughs> For the best in all things Doctor Who, it's Doctor Who Podshock, the podcast all about Doctor Who, the longest-running science fiction television program. With Louis Trapani. Hello. Ken Deep. Hello. James Norton. Hello. News. Fabulous. Reviews. Oh, no. And fan mail for James. Uh, 40,000. Doctor Who Podshock from the Gallifrey Embassy. You know, that's...
guy James was really cool. No, yeah, we blew that. <laughs> I'm the doctor, and who are you? And who are you? We're back with the Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, and now we're talking about the Sarah Jane Adventures Series 3. We're towards the end of Series 3 already. It's just like this. It's gone by very quickly, too, because they have been showing, unlike, though they're not doing two episodes back-to-back, but they're doing two episodes per week, where originally in um, the previous two series of Sarah Jane Adventures, there was only one episode per week, so if they did 10 or 12 episodes... It would last that, you know, 10 or 12 weeks. And now it's compressed into just, uh, uh, what, five weeks or so of Sarah Jane Adventures. Uh, which, so of course, the yeah. Yeah, created a lot of spec- speculation about the, the the timing of the Doctor Who episodes as well, didn't it? But, of course, we've mm-hmm. got the the, uh, the Dreamland to fit in as well. So it, it seems to have had to have been squashed in a fairly tight schedule gap, mm-hmm. um, more so than perhaps the actual um, artistic reason for doing it on two consecutive nights. But, of course, we do have to remember it is it is a, um, a family... Well, no, it's a children's programme, not a, not a family programme yeah. as Doctor Who is. Yes. It's shown at 4.35pm in late afternoon there on yeah. CBC. Firmly in children's television time, yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Definitely. But it's... Getting great ratings, you know, for especially for that time slot, especially, you know, after David Tennant made a, an appearance in <laughs> well, the episode The Wedding of Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah, we I've talked a bit about this on Podshock, um, but it was the best Sarah Jane episode, well, the best two Sarah Jane episodes I've seen, in my humble mm-hmm. opinion. I really, really enjoyed them. Memory serves it did 1.3 million on episode one and episode two, 1.1 million views. Yeah. So, and since, and since then, it sustained it. Yeah, since then it sustained it. I mean, I was a little bit disappointed with the, the, the latest. The Mona uh, Lisa's Revenge. Mona Lisa's Revenge. Yeah, same here. Well, it was a little bit unfortunate as well because it had a similar premise in a way to the previous story, The Eternity Trap. In yes. as much as uh, they were trapped in pictures rather than trapped in a house, uh, um, which seemed a little bit too similar. They could have been doing, been done as those stories being in separate series, I think. Yes, yeah. Or, uh, you know, maybe even part of the same story where perhaps the Mona Lisa, you know, right. traps them in pictures, all of them as well, and they have to, you know, find a way of getting out of the pictures or something. Um, yeah. And I do I, believe, sorry, James, I do believe that um, when they found out they were going to get David Tennant, they were hoping that they would be able to get him uh, and have him in the sort of series uh, final story. But because of timing schedules, uh, I believe so, you know, they've so there's obviously been some rearrangement of the order yeah, yeah. of it as well. So that's probably not helped out. They just... Yeah. The most similar episodes, are sorry, the most similar stories were consecutive ones. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, Phil Ford is a terrific writer. I think he's done well. We'll get we'll get onto our review of Waters of Mars on on Podshock later on in the week. Phil Ford's a terrific writer. I just think that Mona Lisa's Revenge didn't really work. I didn't really 
like the actress who played the Mona Lisa, Mona. Yeah. who was uh, Sarana Jones, uh, who's been on things like Coronation Street in the past. And that's not necessarily because I think she's a bad actress. It's just that, okay, she's not really the Mona Lisa that was quite well defined in the episode. She's, you know, the painting of the Mona Lisa. But I thought... You know why? Why is she? Why is she all of a sudden from Lancashire? I mean, it, it doesn't doesn't make sense. No, it, 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 I don't know. It just didn't, it didn't seem to fit <laughs> any the, of it. The point the point is, if her, her her speech pattern had been very similar to the girl who who was actually captured in the photograph, you know, the uh, the the museum's assistant, mm -hmm. and, yeah. and 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 it was almost as though she'd stolen, you know. They'd swap places from the picture, but she'd almost stolen her voice. Well, I didn't. Uh, I didn't that think she had a particularly. Way. Yeah, well, that that too. But you know, the uh, the lady didn't have a Lancastrian accent, and if anything, you know, it was obviously painted in Italy, and then spent a great number of years in the Louvre in France. So, if anything, you'd expect it to have an Italian accent or a French accent, right? And she had neither, and I I couldn't quite reconcile that aside from the fact that you know the actress playing her looks nothing like the picture yeah. they could have gotten yeah. anybody to to play it it, it just mm -hmm. you know she had curly hair and the Mona Lisa clearly doesn't and all yeah. they did was sort of uh the only attempt it seemed to make her look like the Mona Lisa was to uh to cover eyebrows. eyebrows in makeup yeah. uh badly I might add because from certain angles you could tell that they had literally just painted Breaking. her her eyebrows in with, you know, makeup. That, yeah. That's all they did. And I guess in, at certain points they may have CGI'd them out, but uh, when it was less obvious. But that that for me, how the story perhaps itself was was okay, but how they realised it, I think, um, you know, wasn't wasn't it wasn't well executed basically. I think there was an English joke in there that, uh, you know, you, you see a beautiful girl and uh, she's marvellous until she opens her mouth and uh, the Lancashire <laughs> expression, she's got a gob on her. And yeah. uh, the, the, I don't know whether that was a, a sort of a, an in-joke that this woman is admired mm. and and uh, deified almost by so many people that uh, yeah. when she does open her mouth, a little bit like they did in Shakespeare's stories if you remember when uh, uh, the Shakespeare code when uh, uh, the doctor and Martha are in the crowd and said now listen you're going to hear really words of wisdom this man is an absolute wizard with the English language and uh, and then he, uh, Shakespeare opens his mouth and he shuts shut your gobs and something yeah. Yeah. yeah it was one Some of those, those sort lines. of jokes yeah, it was it was funny. I mean, I, maybe I'm just looking too much into it because of course. Well, I, it's I on think the this CBBC. is a good example of my criticism with the Sarah Jane Adventures is that I realize it's a children's show, and you know, and and because of that, it's a little cartoonish in places, and mm. I can accept that. If, but the thing is that this is a spinoff of Doctor Who, and I think the same science needs to be applied to both. And I just, it just seems, a, you know, this is why I had a problem with Fear Her because, you know, they were attacked yeah, by that, a scribble. That, that should have been and, a Sarah Jane uh, story, really. Shouldn't yeah, it? and well, that's the whole thing. They shouldn't, but they should be consistent. The science should be consistent among both series. And when I see like Fear Her or Love and Monsters, where the, the it's inconsistent, you know, with itself with in Doctor Who. You know, I it just screams I, I just out. Wish it was um, it? yeah. 
you know, if this was a different series, if it wasn't Sarah Jane, it was, you know, Bobby Joe's adventures or whatever, you know, yeah. I, I would be less critical and just accept it for what it is. With Doctor Who and on Doctor Who, your expectations are so high because generally speaking, Doctor Who delivers fantastic television, which is not only fantastic television, but it appeals to such a wide range of people. And I think it's quite strange to really that that Sarah Jane really is Doctor Who, but just for kids. And it's quite strange to see it from that sort of perspective, I think. And, you know, and when you compare it with like the mad woman in the attic, which is quite, quite a complex plot, I would have thought for, uh, you know, six, seven, eight, nine year olds to follow. And, And I don't want to, talk down to them and certainly this program doesn't do that so perhaps it was just um and of course the other thing that um Lewis I think uh, will probably be uh, shown up by is the fact that the gift might be such you know a a serious and maybe a harrowing one that um, they felt as though they had to put a light-hearted you know almost a send-up type uh, of one uh, prior to it with the Mona Lisa revenge Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I don't know. I, I just being, you know, I grew up maybe watching more adult television than than children's television. But I've always, I always frowned upon television series that was aimed for te- for children that that was, um, I don't know, that that spoke down to te- to children. Or you just need some believability there. You need you have to believe in the characters and the situations. And um, yeah, you know. Unless you start off being goofy and, and being card, you know, I, I love. We were going to talk about. There's not enough time in this episode, but in the future, in a future future episode of this podcast, we'll talk about Danger Mouse, and that's a, a cartoon where people, you know, you do. It's sort of like in the Warner Brothers style of cartoon making, where you have um, silly things, and you know, science doesn't always apply. And, mm. and that, but you you accept that because that's the format it's in from the get go. And mm. um, if anything, you you know, you want to give kids high quality television that doesn't patronize them because if you do that then they'll demand good television in the future you know they'll expect it it's not you know whereas with sarah jane you can see that they want to have a fun side to things and by and large i think it's a very good television program yeah it's very entertaining and i enjoy it and i continue to watch it the, the the disappointment really i think is it's you know, a good Sarah Jane episode is sort of a mediocre, on the same scale, is sort of a mediocre mm-hmm. Doctor Who episode. And, well, uh, I think you've been a bit harsh there. I mean, I well, mean, perhaps this is mediocre that... isn't isn't the right term, but you know, yeah. an okay, like like a like a, a five star Sarah Jane would be a, th- a three star Doctor Who. Yeah, right. So it's an okay, I mean, you know, episode for Doctor Who wise, but. I think are. basically uh, the the what, mad woman in the attic and the wedding of Sarah Jane Smith was so good that adults were watching it thinking this is a you know this is family viewing and then uh, when they come down to the more uh, uh, frivolous episodes uh, th- they have to do um, a rethink and think no no it's a, a children's show it's just the, the standard and the invo- complexity of those previous two stories you know, made me think I was watching something that was really uh, at a different level. But I think it's a totally successful series, far, far 
beyond what it could have been. I mean, uh, I remember Ken talking about being worried about all these different spin-offs and diluting the franchise and that. I certainly don't think you can say Sarah Jane Adventures has diluted the franchise. It's uh, added a, a, a great uh, uh, new arm to it. Um, uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, we've seen a little bit of K-9 in this one. We now know that his future lies elsewhere. But... Um, for this particular series, I mean, three series, I think it's done remarkably well. Mm-hmm. Oh, and speaking of K-9, just a, a little side note on the wedding of, of Sarah Jane Smith, where he's, um, you know, where K-9 sort of makes his return in the series as well, where he's no longer, well, I think it might have been the episode before, um, whatever, where he's no longer guarding that black hole or whatever, because mm. they needed that, that black hole energy for the story before. It's interesting because uh, K-9 doesn't recognize... Everyone else seems to hear the TARDIS sounds throughout that episode before the TARDIS arrives, yet you, for whatever reason, K-9 doesn't recognize it or doesn't hear it. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't sound exactly like the TARDIS. You, you can tell it's meant to be the TARDIS. The TARDIS is really struggling to... Materialize, to yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, I don't know. I think I've really enjoyed the Sarah Jane uh, series, and I I think it's it's lived up to my expectations. And in certain episodes, like the one featuring David Tennant and the Mad Woman in the Attic, have exceeded my expectations. Um, but overall, I think it's been a lot of fun, and I'd say it's been the best Sarah Jane series yet. They've mm-hmm. really they've really got the formula down now, and they know what they're doing, and. Uh, it's great fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Slayton does a good job, and it's um they they got some good actors as well involved with it, and so it's um it's a good series. I I don't mean to be overly critical. I know it's a children's series. I just um you know it's just that you know when you're passionate about something, you're going to have strong feelings for it. So and the <laughs> and the younger actors are are extremely good. I yeah, mean that, uh, they have been exactly. well cast. And, uh, and we're going to be, I think, was it Christopher Knight plays um, Luke? If that's, if uh, I believe right. that's his name, yeah, yeah. if I remember so he's, rightly. he's uh, scheduled to be at Gallifrey 21 in February. Yeah, so we can quiz we'll him all have about a it. To have him on an interview. <laughs> mm. Shall right, we well. hit feedback and then... Uh... Well, I, I think we probably already addressed feedback with the uh, Paradox. That's true, that's true, yes. Sorry, I preempted. So, uh, no, that's it. okay. So, but we wanted that was uh, a, a piece of feedback that we received from a fellow named Anthony. We do want, appreciate the feedback. You know, we send us feedback at feedback at Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi dot com. I know that's a mouthful, but um, you can also <laughs> go to um, um, our website, which is Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi dot com, or just if it's easier, ArtTrap dot com will get you there as well. Yeah. and there's sections there for for this podcast. I think you've mentioned it on one of the other podcasts, but I mean, it seems a pity not to mention the the sad passing of uh, Edward Woodward as well, the uh, British actor. I know he hasn't been. Yeah, in I a... tweeted about it. I, actually, we haven't really spoke about it in uh, at least I haven't spoken about it in any sh- podcast. Sure, yeah. So that's something 
of note. He played the Equalizer in the U.S. It was a very popular series in the 80s. Mm. I didn't really have a chance to see it, but I know others that Ooh. swore by it and were big fans of it. I know, you know, I can trust their opinions that it was a quality show. So mm. um, it's a sad loss. And Indeed. of course, uh, The Wicker Man, uh, Wicker which Man. is mm. it's it horror, I suppose, but it's it's sort of in the it's genre. sci-fi-esque horror, isn't it? I mean, it's got Christopher Lee in it for a start, so... Uh... Most things with Christopher Lee and can be classified as sci-fi, horror, or fantasy, I suppose. Mm. All right, well, we promise that the next episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi won't be, um, the space between episodes won't be as long. We do apologize that this one was a bit delayed, but we're back. And hopefully maybe um, next time we'll have Dave with us again. Dave, where can people find you and, and also tell them about the Cult of Collective? Oh, good. Well, uh, the easiest place to find out about it is at cultdom.com, which is our Cultdom Chronicles blog page. But we obviously do our talk shows uh, live with the audience. You can participate. We do them on Sundays. Our, our regular time slot is 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, and it goes out on Talk Show ID 54821. We do also, Ian, the Sixth Doctor, and myself do a few studio shows. Uh, we've just put a couple up extra this week and um they are also available to be subscribed to on itunes and thanks for that yeah and just so there's no confusion when when you say ian the sixth and it's not ian ian isn't the sixth doc no, that's the sixth his, doctor uh, on twitter that's right it's, <laughs> online <laughs> persona colin baker's not on the show is what i'm getting at <laughs> <laughs> though he could be at one point you never know you had uh, gareth david lloyd on just recently so you never know well sometimes he's kirsty pixel sometimes that he sometimes is. is true yes sometimes i guess while we're while we're here we should also maybe promote the live show we're going to be doing for Podshock, where we're going to be reviewing the waters of mars waters this of mars. sunday yes so that's uh, this Sunday at 5 p.m. And if you go to the org website or podshock.net, you'll see right there on the front page a um, information about it as well as a link to the TalkShoe page. And TalkShoe is a free service that you can sign up and uh, participate in the show. You can join the chat or, better yet, call in to the show and let us hear what you have to say about it. Quite so, indeed. So that's um, so that's uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time which I believe is... Uh, 10 p.m. GMT. Yeah. 10 p.m. GMT. So it's, we're starting a little later than usual, but hopefully this might give an opportunity for those down under to... It's, it will be early for them, but to um, to participate where um, it was a little prohibited <laughs> when we were doing it earlier. All right. Well, I think that's going to... Well, before we stop, before... Our, we end the show just a note that you can find James Norton on Twitter at twitter.com slash James Norton you and, can indeed and of course I'm at twitter.com slash Lewis Trapani and Dave is twitter.com slash Dave AC yep all very self-explanatory really <laughs> alright <laughs> well that will wrap up this show so thank you so much for listening thank you guys gotcha, British sci-fi see you next time bye cheers Thanks for listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. Send feedback to feedback at hitchhikersguide to britishsci-fi.com. 
Remember, to support this podcast, please visit Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi.com or ArtTrap.com and hit the donate button and or visit the shop there for your Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi swag, which includes mugs, shirts, and associated trinkets with the show's logo. If you're not already a listener, be sure to listen to our Doctor Who podcast, Doctor Who Podshock. Go to thegallifrandemcy.org or podshock.net for details. Visit arttrap.com for more on this and other podcasts. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions.